From listener-supported KTOO, welcome to Juno Afternoon, broadcasting live from the homelands of the Akwan. It's Friday, February 9th. I'm your host, Andy Klein. Thanks for joining the conversation. Coming up today, we'll feature some wonderful artistic performances, and then we'll take a deeper dive into a serious issue. First up, it's Mudroom's time again, and we'll talk to organizers and storytellers about what's on tap this week. Then Juno Piano Series is tomorrow night at the Jack, and then again on the 16th, and we'll talk to musicians about what's happening with the Juno Piano Series. Finally, we'll talk to the Klingit and Haida Community Advocacy Program about an upcoming event on human trafficking, the dangers, and how to take steps to prevent it from happening. That's all ahead today, and I hope you'll join me. Well, in the weekend weather, there is a winter storm warning in effect right now, and it's in effect until tomorrow morning with gale force front bringing potentially heavy snow and high winds to Juneau. Total snow accumulation up to 13 inches in the next 24 hours. We're hearing reports there's already accidents out on Egan. Please take it easy out there. And with the winter storm warning, that comes with the warning to uh, limit unnecessary travel. So unless you have to be out on the roads, stay home. Support for Juno Afternoon comes from Heritage Coffee Roasting Company, providing Juno with locally roasted coffee for over 40 years, with cafes and drive through locations throughout Juno. More at heritagecoffee.com. Hanson Gress, Ka eat with the Shu Yi, we Kashuk Ayitin, Jin Kat Ka Jin Tauk, and Akaya Haanikak, Gunish Join the Juno Ghost Light Theater tonight in partnership with KTOO for live radio theater. It's The War of the Worlds, the classic by H.G. Wells, originally broadcast in 1938 by Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater. It's tonight at 7 p.m. on KTOO 104.3 and KAUK 91.7. Cast includes Boston Christopher, Kelsey Riker, Jake Wade, Jeff Hedges. Wow, it's a murderer's row. It's all uh, they're all happening out here. Travis Clark Morris, Valerie Kissel, and Salissa Thole. It's directed by Donnie Gott and the music by George and Bridget Kuhar and Foley by Stacy and Rose Katas. That's 7 p.m. tonight on KTOO. You can tune in on your radio or online at KTOO.org slash listen. It's war of the worlds. Don't be too frightened. <laughs> Senator Lisa Murkowski will address the Alaska legislature on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Tune in on the radio, TV, or online for live coverage from KTOO and Gavel, Alaska. That's Senator Murkowski's annual legislative address, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Listen live on KTOO 104.3 and KAUK 91.7 FM, or watch on KTOO 360 TV and KTOO.org. First up today, just a quick story from our former producer, Rhonda McBride, always doing great work. And since last October, um, Anchorage has been visited by, you may have seen this online, by a rare feathered celebrity, a white raven who appears to have taken up residence in a neighborhood known as Spinard. Last summer, the raven was spotted south of Anchorage on the Kenai Peninsula, where biologists confirm the bird is not an albino, but a leucistic, leucistic, leucistic. That's right, a leucistic. 
which means it has a gene that causes a loss of pigmentation. So different from an albino. So we'll hear more about that. It also has blue eyes. KNBA's Rhonda McBride has followed a Facebook page called Anchorage White Raven Spottings for daily updates. And we'll hear more from her right now. Just about every day on the page, you can find new photos of White Raven aloft with its feathers translucent in the light at play with another raven in the snow or up to some kind of mischief, like the video in which it unscrews a bolt from a street lamp or in another video where it preaches to the choir. It's just so different. Glenn Klinkhart is a retired police detective who has almost made tracking white raven a full-time job. We all know what a raven looks like. We all know the shape, how it's supposed to look. And then when you see this this white raven with this genetic difference just kind of stops you. Scientists say the white raven is very rare, but how rare? Rick Sinnott, a wildlife biologist, says he knows of only two other white raven sightings in Anchorage. The last one was 20 years ago. It wasn't as white as this one. It was kind of a bronze color. It was very beautiful. Sinnott says another white raven was spotted 20 years before that and believes Three sightings over the course of four decades meets the definition of rare, especially when you consider the genetic odds. Initially, Senate worried that other ravens would pick on the white raven. When it's around other ravens, it doesn't seem to raise the feathers on the top of his head that would suggest that it was subordinate. In fact, raven seems more like an alpha bird. In a recent post, Glenn Klinkhart shared pictures of white raven in a spat with four black ravens over a discarded Haagen-Dazs curtain of white raspberry chocolate truffle ice cream. And in the final photo, raven prances around with its prize. It's one of more than 10,000 photos Klinkhart has snapped of white raven since October. But there's one he's very proud of, taken on a day in which he found the bird completely alive. Alone. He laid down on the snow to watch with camera in hand. That white raven came about two feet from me and looked in my camera lens and then tilted its head and then said, okay, and then it wobbled off. Klinkart says he was so close, the photo showed his reflection in the bird's blue eye. A magical moment. And in many Alaska Native stories, the bird is a mystical being. Mita DeWitt, a Thlinkit healer who works with medicinal plants, says she first heard about White Raven years ago from another traditional healer, the late Rita Blumenstein, a Yupik from southwest Alaska known as Grandma Rita. She would say, we will see a White Raven, and that's when we'll know that humanity as a whole is shifting towards one of peace. DeWitt says it's a prophecy Grandma Rita heard from her elders, an example of the white raven's long history as a messenger bird. Even the Greek god Apollo had one that turned from white to black after displeasing the god. And in Alaska Native stories, raven also transforms. DeWitt says not to forget that raven is a trickster. Her uncle tells a story about how Raven wanted to bring mankind fresh water to drink, so it tried to steal a bucket from a chief's house. Soot blackened his feathers as he escaped through a smoke hole. And in another version of that story, Raven turns black after he steals the sun, the moon, and the stars to bring light into the world. DeWitt believes 
Raven has transformed yet again and has returned to encourage mankind to save the planet. It gives me a profound sense of hope and even beyond hope. Some Facebook followers have speculated about whether White Raven is male or female. Rick Sinnott says it's hard to tell, but during courtship, he's seen males fly up in the air, drop sticks, then swoop down to catch them. When males are trying to impress females, they go into quite a frenzy of, of that kind of behavior. Zinnett says the mating season begins at the end of January and runs through March. But chances are White Raven will move on come spring and head into the wilderness. But for now, the bird brings warmth and cheer into the heart of an Anchorage winter. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. So good to hear from Rhonda. Welcome back. You're listening to Juno Afternoon from Studio 2K at KTOO. I'm Andy Klein, and let's talk about stepping in it with mudrooms coming up next. We have with us uh, Taylor Beard and Jordan Nigro. Hello to both of you. Hi, Andy. Taylor, Hi. you're here because you're the producer of this mudrooms, and also uh, you're, you're saying you may end up speaking. You, you think may, you're not decided totally, but maybe. Uh, very possibly, I'll speak. <laughs> and Jordan, you're here because uh, Zach Gordon Youth Center is a beneficiary of Mudrooms. Yeah, Friends yeah. of Zach Gordon is a beneficiary. And so we're just really thankful to Mudrooms. And um, the board, the Friends of Zach Gordon board was like, Jordan, you go do the radio. So. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And Friends of Zach Gordon supports all of our programs. And so, so what's one of the things that's so cool about Mudrooms picking different nonprofits is not just it's great, nice little nice little bit of uh, of money comes in because people are very generous at Mudrooms, but also because it just really brings attention to what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about it. Well, so. And then we'll talk about Mudrooms. Yeah, that's probably what more what people <laughs> want to hear about. Um, we, you know, Zach Gordon is right across the parking lot. I had the shortest commute today in the snowstorm. <laughs> I know. We were like, if uh, no one else gets here, we know at least Jordan will get here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot has changed in the last few years at Zach. Like, historically, the drop-in center has been really, you know, the core of our programming. And it still is. But we now have um, a youth shelter for youth 10 through 17 that's in the valley. And we attach – and that's Shehat Hit, which means Spruce Root House. And attached to the shelter in that house is also a four-bedroom apartment for transitional living Um, for youth transition age. So that's 18 to 21. And then we also have a rapid rehousing program in the community for youth 18 to 24. And all of those housing programs, the shelter to the transitional to the rapid rehousing, that's all a partnership with Clinkett Haida Regional Housing Authority. So with the building, with Shehat Hit, they provide the property management. And with our rapid rehousing, they provide the rental assistance from a grant through HUD. And we provide, we do the work with the youth to help find the apartment and um, get them settled in and moved in and all that stuff and then support them in their transition. It really speaks to how much the youth center has grown in its scope of service to young people in Juneau. We have grown a lot. When I started, we had, I think, four full-time staff, four four FTEs, including the manager. And now we have 23, I think. Wow. So, yeah, we've grown a lot. Um, 
And we're doing really great work and we're really excited about organizations like Mudrooms that support us. Um, right now we have two um, robes being woven at Zach Gordon, one Chilkat robe and one Raven's Tail robe that Lily Hope and a bunch of other weavers. Um, I've got to talk to her about leading. that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's incredible. Great. If you haven't seen the robes, please come by. Um but I think some of these funds are going to go towards that project. Okay. That's one of the things we're cool. excited about supporting. Is that part of the decision-making process behind choosing the the nonprofits, you know, getting behind specific projects they might be doing? Uh, a little bit. I So this is my first year on the board, so I know that we get our applications and we kind of decide what's going to be. I think it comes down to what is going to be the biggest benefit and because – there, I think there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. What's going to be the biggest pull for people? What's who, I basically, how much can the money impact the different organizations? Yeah, that's I an think important is thing. how it's probably yeah. decided. If you but, give it to a big organization that's got lots of different funds coming in, you know, may, maybe doesn't make as much of a difference right. to the organization. So that's cool. Or or just identifying a specific project an organization's working mm -hmm. on and getting behind that. That's really cool. Well, let's talk about the actual Mudroom's coming up. It's happening Tuesday. Starts at seven o'clock. It's over at Northern Lights Church, and um, it's this theme is stepping in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like it. which I think can really mean anything. It's like <laughs> literally stepping in it, or uh, saying something that you immediately regret, or stepping into a moment. I think there's so many things. So I, I I'm pretty excited. I've I was at the rehearsals last night. The stories we I heard so far are great. And so I'm very excited for this one. Yeah, very cool. Are there some a couple of speakers that you know of that are going to be on that we could talk about? Um, yeah, we have yeah. Jeff Kirsch, Muriel, Muriel Reed, Mark Peterson, Alicia Falberg, Carol Bookless, Guy Archibald, and Karina Lorancy. So this is our seven. Fingers crossed nobody has an issue and needs to drop off. So um, that's who we have so far. Yeah. And our musician is Spencer Edgars. So um, it should be a good night. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds sounds like a good one. Jordan, you've you've done Mudrooms before, right? You've spoken at Mudrooms, haven't you or no? Oh, come no. on. You have not? No. You're one of those holdouts. I like, knew you were going to ask like me, me that. Like me? So that means you're going to speak like in me. March? Is that is that what I'm My I'm husband getting? has spoken. Our household has represented. Does that count? <laughs> mm -mm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> our, my household has not. I know. It's terrible. Uh, I feel, I like, we feel both like we should do it. Yeah. Oh, you right. both need to be signing up. Right. Then, so. Vandy does it. I'll do it. We'll do it. Oh no 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 no. Pinky <laughs> <laughs> promise, sir. Pinky <laughs> <You> promise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, so uh, you know the uh, it's really interesting that you talk about how these themes get developed and how there's a certain way to think of every every time you read one of the themes you think oh I would think about it that way but you know you could also think about it in this totally different way mm -hmm. yeah I mean and it's nice to have to have flexible themes because if you only have like one type of story it's like oh, okay cool this is another story about another. walking <laughs> through the snow like you know, right. so uh, it's it is nice to have flexibility in the themes um it works out really well and you get like a nice spectrum of stories. Sometimes they're all hilarious. Sometimes you have a few that are funny and some that you're standing there like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not crying. Right. Are you yeah. crying? But yeah, it's it. I like that about it. You know, I was on your website today and um, boy, what a resource that is. It has these great recordings of every maybe not every single, but boy. It seems like every single speech that's been done on Mudrooms has been recorded and in a really high quality, really listenable. It's just like a personal Juno podcast of all these people that you know in Juno and these great experiences. Some of them are incredibly talented writers and speakers. And then there's a full gamut. Yep. 
Yeah. We, uh, from what I know, we we have recorded and kept a catalog of every single speaker. So um, it's it is yeah, it's nice to go back and listen to it. And I've looked through and been like, oh, I didn't know that they spoke, and listened to the story, and it's like, well, I really did not know that about them. And um, yeah, but it it's a it's a special project. I think it's pretty neat that we have something like that here. Yeah, well, it's it, it is really neat, and and uh, something that. Um, I think K2 has kind of been involved a little bit mm-hmm. as far as the recording and stuff since from the beginning and uh, has has uh, played uh, lots of different uh, uh, parts of it on the air throughout the years. So it's definitely something that, you know, feels like a part of the community. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we yeah. We're very thankful to you because obviously we reach way more people. <laughs> it's like we get. <laughs> I don't know. You can only pack so much into a yeah. church. You, know? <laughs> you can only get so many people in there. So, um, yes, we're very grateful to KTO for their help with this. That's cool. Can you now? Do you know what the the music uh, is? Spencer Edgers is that uh-huh. right? Now, what kind of music is that? Do you know? I don't actually know. Okay, I'm I'm told he he's quite good. Okay, but, uh, that's enough. As I awkwardly, I'm like, oh, well, I should know this. Uh, I do not know this. Have you done a mudrooms before? And spoken I, have, I have done two mudrooms. I did what, one. What were, what were the ones that you did? And tell me about like a little bit about your process of how you went about doing it. Part of what I probably want to part of what I get to get at here is that Jordan and I have never done one. Okay, <laughs> it's it, it's intimidating to think about doing it, but you know when I was going through your website today, I realized, boy, there's so many friends and neighbors of mine that just got on, told a story, had some little nugget of some fun thing or some interesting thing or meaningful thing to them, and no matter how how you know quote unquote well or the story was told, it, there was a lot of meaning that came out of it. It's a really mm-hmm. positive cool thing that happened, no matter if it was someone who was a, you know, quote unquote, great storyteller or someone who was just sort of speaking from the heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, that's the that's the whole basis of Mudrooms. You're not really supposed to speak from notes. It's since it's a true personal story, you're you would hope that you're able to just tell it. So um, the first one I did was for the theme Never Again. And I my process was like, well, what, what would I what would I never again do? And I immediately, so the things. first oh. thing, well, I, yeah, when I was, the story that I told was when I was four years old, I stuck my tongue to a frozen pole as my oh. dad was taking me up to ski lessons. And so I went, I, when I was writing it, cause it was like, what are my memories from this? What do I very specifically remember? And so oh. that's how I told the story of like the things that popped into my head. Cause I did, I turned around, it ended up like he, I don't know why, but the bus was late, even though we literally lived 700 feet from the ski lift. So it was like, why are we going on the bus? I don't get it. But it was late and my four-year-old brain was like, oh, look, there's there's a pole. It's got frost on it. And it equated frost with a frozen popsicle. So I was just, lit, you know, went oh. after it. So I, that's like the process that I went through because it's, <laughs> you know, and, and that's what I would suggest to most people is when you when you sign up for Mudrooms and you pick a theme that you're going to do, it's like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And Yeah, you don't have to have the perfect story. No, right? it doesn't have yeah. to be perfect right. because sometimes like something can be fairly banal and it's like, wait, is banal the right word? <laughs> sure. I'm like, am I on? Yeah, as, as my brain's like, I can't process this right now. Um, it can be pretty basic, but you can make something very basic, funny or heart wrenching. So there's, yeah, that's. It's interesting. And, you know, when people sign up, we have people come to rehearsal and we offer coaching and feedback and like, oh, your story might 
might benefit from having more emotion in it or um yeah what's the what's kind of the if someone were to sign up what's kind of the schedule like was, so is there a couple of rehearsals or there's rehearsal you know tell me about well so that. that kind of depends uh there's only the one rehearsal that usually happens the thursday night before um but you can ask for coaching and so it's like if you get a coach you can be working with that coach from when you sign up until you do the story so it's kind of dependent on the needs of the storyteller yeah so, yeah yeah, but I, and so, I mean, if I was the coach and they were like, can you meet with me every night? I'd be like, well, you're going to Zoom every <laughs> night. But, uh, you know, it, I we we want to give people the the most help that they need. And it, the, way that we, the way that I think of storytelling, it's a, I like getting people into storytelling because it's such a great way to connect with other people, whether through your business or to make friends. Like, it's an easy way to connect with other people. And a lot of people are losing that as technology kind of starts to dominate in this day and age. So um, I, I just think people should sign up because it's, it helps, you know, you can learn through the workshops. Oh yeah. We have a workshop that's coming up on the 18th. That'll be at the church from three to five. And so that's an even more in-depth way to learn how to tell a story, but it, it's just a great skill to have. And, yeah. and especially in this aspect where, you're literally benefiting a nonprofit in telling your story. So yeah, I would suggest it. Yeah. Well, get go out on that limb, right? Just mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of a thing there, even for people that are experienced in front of audiences and stuff. It's still, it's still your own personal story, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, that's an interesting little hurdle for people to get past, but that's makes it so meaningful. Oh, it definitely yeah. makes it meaningful. I mean, it, it means a lot to the, to the beneficiaries. So yeah. And us. I mean, we we love connecting with people in that way. So Well, cool. And so it's happening that the mudrooms of stepping in it is happening Tuesday, February 13th. It's at the Northern Lights Church and it's at uh, seven o'clock. And um, it's uh, just a suggested donation is mm -hmm. what it takes to get in. And um, the beneficiary of that donation will be the Zach Gordon Youth Center and Jordan Nigro here from the Youth Center. Thanks so much for letting us know some of the Many, many things that you guys are up to right now. It's really cool to hear all the different things you guys are involved in. And Taylor, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us a little bit about Mudrooms. It's stepping in it. It's happening Tuesday. Thank thanks you. so much. Thanks, all right. Andy. Live and local from the KTOO studios, you're listening to Juno Afternoon. I'm your host, Andy Klein, and with me next to talk about the piano series. The Juno Piano Series is happening. It's been happening. Has happened. It's going to happen again in the next couple of oh, yeah. the next week, a couple of times here. We've got John Hayes, uh, Kyle Farley Robinson, and Jaja Moss is all here. Uh, going to be performing the next couple of weeks here. And actually, um, Kyle and Jaja, you're performing tomorrow night. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is it, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't ask that question. Of course you're ready. I mean, of course. But um, what, I mean, actually, that's an interesting question to me as someone who's not a musician. Like, how much time do you feel like you've put in in order to get ready for this performance? I'll ask you, Jaja. Um. So I've been working on my pieces. So I'm working on a Beethoven sonata and a Debussy arabesque number one. And those I've been working on since about August or September of last year. 
Okay. So it's been yeah. a few months now. Yeah. And I try to get a consistent one hour of practice on the piano every day. And other days, right, I can't because of schedule. But then on the weekend, I would try to make it up with a bit more practice. And as you're as you're kind of getting towards performance like this, you just are concentrating on those pieces? Yes, really, for just sure. Really concentrating on those pieces. Yes. What is the process do you have sort of a do you have sort of goalposts markers for like the process of um, you know do you do do you go kind of certain portions of the piece of music or do you just try to run through it or do you do it sheet music first and then memorize or how, tell me about how the process of how you get to where you're ready to perform a piece of music so for me personally I like to learn the notes and memorize first that's what I do and then. I usually learn a few measures or a few lines at a time, and I will, you know, use a metronome and build it up, starting slow and going faster. And as I get more comfortable, I just don't use music at all, just because it actually hinders uh, at how fast I can play the piece. Be the the reading of sheet music is the, it, the processing of that and reading along exactly somehow it slows me with, down oh, from playing the piano. So for me, I memorize. That's the first thing I do when I play, and then after that, I work on musicality and other things. Hmm, Kyle, would you? What's your process? Is it similar to that, or it's similar? Um, but instead of instead of memorizing first, I'll typically wait. And memorize last because it's one of the most difficult things for me personally. Um, but like Jaja, I'll split so up. So you are you're reading it. You've got the sheet music yeah. in front of you, and you're just reassuring, reassuring, just going through it, going through it, going through it, kind of until it sort of gets ingrained in a way. Is that yeah. right? Or yeah, pretty much. It's I'm trying to figure out what I want to do musically first, how I want to phrase things, what I like, what I don't like, and then once I have that sort of in my head, then I'll try to memorize it. So I've got typically. Maybe a month or so before the concert, I'll start. This is memorizing. the thing that to me, and just forgive me for saying for saying something stupid out loud, but <laughs> as a non-musician, right? You know, like the idea of um, how different different piano players play the same piece of music is kind of what I'm getting at, right? Because mm. what you're talking about is. Well, we have this piece of music. You have to get to know it first, right? No, no, no note out of place, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything's done. But then there's this whole other element, which is your interpretation of that work. And Jaja, it sounds like what you're saying is you work that in to begin with, in a way, by memorizing it, or mm -hmm. and 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 you kind of wait, you kind of learn it, wrote first, and then your interpretation develops at towards the end. Is that right? Or is that? Yeah, that's, yeah. I'd say that's fair. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really fascinating to just understand that musical process a little bit. Well, let's hear a little of one of your, is this, is this you, Jaja, the, the performance we're going to hear this? So the Ravel is the third movement of the Mother Goose Suite, and that's actually forehand piano. So this is oh. just a little the beginning of the third movement or well. So Kyle and I are both playing on this piece and I am playing the lower register of the piano and he's playing in the upper register. Okay. The piano. Very cool. All right. So this is a four hand. Was it four hand? Four hands on one piano. <laughs> okay. Very good. And uh, this is Ravel, uh, Mother Goose. Uh, and uh, we're going to hear that and we'll come right back after listening to about a minute of this.
you can really tell there's a lot going on there, right? <laughs> it says does it is funny that you say that. I wouldn't know it without you having told me to begin with, but it does seem like uh, there's more than two hands on that <laughs> on that piano, right? It really sounds almost like two people are playing two different pianos in a way, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, that's fun. It's so is that the is that the is that the one example of the forehand piano that's going to be happening tomorrow night? Yeah, the uh, so that Mother Goose Suite has five different movements. So the one you just heard is the third movement and uses a lot. It uses basically a lot of the black keys on the piano, the F sharp pentatonic scale, and makes because it doesn't have any half steps in it. It creates this really nice sound that um, there's no dissonance really. You can play any of the black notes in any order you want, and it just sounds nice. Yeah, which is a very cool sound to create on the piano. It sounded kind of light to me. In yeah, a way. That you know, too. not mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of like lower register bassy resonant stuff as much. It felt lighter. I don't know if that's right, but that's the how it sure, felt to at me. The beginning, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, cool. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening. It's ha this is happening over at the Jack. It's tomorrow night, February 10th at 7 p.m. And um, uh, both Kyle and Jaja will be performing this recital of solo and forehand piano music. What are some of the other ones you're doing? You mentioned the two that you're working on, the Beethoven piece and what yep. else? And the arabesque number one. Okay. And then what are you working on? I'll be uh, playing Bach's second partita and then Liszt Un Suspiro. And, and um, this is Liszt. We talked about Liszt and Listomania that happened yeah, yeah. last time you were here. That's right. And um, so um, are either one of those for either of you a stretch? Tough, difficult, or are they kind of right in your wheelhouse? You feel like, okay, these are ones that I can really get down? Or tell me a little bit about um, how you kind of gauge the level of either difficulty or, or you know, your comfortable com comfort level with each one of them. Hmm. Well, I'd say they're definitely difficult in different ways. I mean, Bach, it's, you know, it's sometimes can be played, thought of more almost less musical and more mechanical. It's very, I find it more difficult to find phrasing through it. And so I spent a lot of time trying to work and find where can I do phrasing? How can I do this? Bach has a lot of sequences where you'll, um, typically you'll, you might have a descending sequence where it's the same, um, same theme played slightly lower um, each time. And so you might try to decrescendo or crescendo depending on what the sequence is doing. Um, but the list has a lot more technical difficulty to it. Um, it's a, actually one of his concert etudes. So the, the sort of theme, the difficulty around the piece is you have one melody, but you have to play it with both hands. So it's each note alternates the hand. And at the beginning, it's even more difficult because you only get two fingers. <laughs> so <laughs> you have one finger. So you'll be playing one finger with one hand and then the other finger with the other hand. And so it, it sort of repeats that theme through the whole piece. Oh, that sounds, that sounds kind of mind boggling, actually. To begin with, is that incredibly difficult at first to kind of pick up, and then you then it's then it kind of clicks in. Yeah, it right. definitely a lot of drilling with a metronome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fascinating to hear you talk about Bach as being mechanical, less than sort of musical or melodic in a way. Is that right? Or? Well, it, it can be. I feel like it. It just like there's definitely a lot of music there. You just have to work a little harder sometimes to find it. I feel like. Huh. And what about the pieces you're working on? What are some of the What are some of your feelings about them, or thoughts about them, or how are you looking at kind of interpreting them? Yeah. So the Beethoven is actually one of um, 
the Opus 49 Number 2 in G major is actually one of Beethoven's smaller works. It only has two movements. And um, the first movement contains a lot of triplets in both hands. So, and then the second movement, the tempo is slightly faster. Well, the first movement is more upbeat and fast, but the second movement is also minuet tempo, which is pretty fast for Beethoven. Is it unusual that a tempo would change, or is that something that's typical of different movements of a piece? Usually when there's different movements, there's different tempo change. Okay. Yeah, but these one, they almost feel like the same tempo because just the way the pace of the music is, I oh, think. Yeah. Yeah. And with Beethoven, it's interesting because um, he doesn't write a lot of, just like with Bach, he doesn't write a lot of dynamics or like forte or piano where we're supposed to play these right so it's a lot of the musician's interpretation of where should we be loud where should we be soft and oh, so he, we he and hasn't other a lot of composers prevent pro, provide a lot of really um explicit guidance it really uh, depends and yeah. and beethoven's and doesn't or is known not to as much sometimes he started to he did yeah he started to yeah. but not when this piece was I see. written necessarily oh so in the way that does it leaves it up to you to completely shape it the way that you know it feels right to you yes exactly yeah, right. which is also part of the challenge too <laughs> it must be because you you you're you partially i would think are learning these pieces because you've also heard them mm-hmm. right you've heard other interpretations and making sure that you're not just copying another interpretation i'm sure is something that enters your the way you do a piece exactly yeah yeah well john let's talk a little bit about yours that's that's it's happening tomorrow night seven o'clock again uh you're both playing uh at the jack and then on the 16th there's uh john you'll be playing a solo recital yes tell me a little bit about that and we've actually got a little clip of it as well here yeah so it's uh i tried to pick out some pieces that are less commonly played so uh there's j.s bach which is the main Bach, but he had like 20 children and several of them were very well-known famous composers in their own time. And so I'm playing a piece by one of his sons, CPE, Carl Philip Emanuel Bach. Uh, It's a sonata and it is, um, it's Bach was Baroque era, CPE Bach was beginning of the classical era. So it's a very different thing. He was uh, one of the early proponents of the piano. Uh, before then, it was harpsichord. So you hit the note, it's the same dynamic no matter what you do. But he started to write music, uh, so these sonatas for the piano that utilize the dynamic contrast of being able to be loud and soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all Immediately, things that we right? know about the modern it's, piano. Can, uh, yeah, right. Zero to 60 in a second. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, well, that's really cool. So can we, can that. we listen to a little? Is that is that part of, we have one here that's called the Clara? Uh, Clara Schumann. Okay, yeah. let's hear about so, that, yeah. Uh, Clara Schumann, again, a lesser played composer. Um, obviously, she was the wife of Robert Schumann. But the thing is, is she is absolutely a complete musician in her own right. Um, She was a child prodigy on the piano, uh, published dozens of compositions by the time she was in her 20s, I believe. Um, In many ways was a kind of mentor as well to Johannes Brahms, a 
big time famous composer. So, you know, I just wanted to find these pieces that are not too familiar. Yeah. Because sometimes I think we hear the things when you're when you're a classical person and you hear these pieces, the familiarity can be nice, but it can also kind of like interfere with hearing the piece yeah. too sometimes right. if something's too familiar. Well, let's hear a little clip of that. We've got a little bit of this uh, clip from Clara Schumann. Is that yes. right? Yeah. And uh, and um, this is John Hayes, and you'll be playing this as well as other um, pieces on February 16th at uh, 7 p.m. at the Jack. And again, we've been talking to Kyle and Jaja as well, who are playing tomorrow night at 7 o'clock at the Jack. And this is um, John Hayes. John Hayes playing a Clara Schumann, a lesser known work, which is really fun to hear that explanation of it. Thanks for letting us know that that's what's on your mind when sure. you're putting this together. It's really cool. Well, uh, once again, it's part of the Juno Piano Series. And um, tomorrow night, it, we've been talking to uh, Jaja Moss and Kyle Farley Robinson, and they're going to be playing tomorrow night at the Jack at 7 p.m. And then uh, on the 16th, John Hayes will be playing a solo recital, including that work we just heard and also some other works. And it's all part of a series presented presenting classical piano music and featuring the pianists of Alaska and beyond. Thanks to all three of you for coming in, sharing a little bit of the thought process behind the music you play and also just uh, letting us know that it's happening yep. and that it's going to be a great thing to go check out. Thanks so Thank much for having us. Thanks to all of you. Appreciate it. You're listening to Juno Afternoon from Studio 2K at KTOO. I'm your host, Andy Klein. Well, coming up next, we're going to be talking to folks from the Clingit and Haida Community Advocacy Program. We've got Natasha Jackson here, who's the program manager. Natasha, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. <laughs> and Julie Douglas is the Clingit and Haida Community Advocate. 
Julie, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. And you're both kind of helping put together a um, a human trafficking awareness event here in Juneau. It's happening on February 19th. A really, I mean, obviously a heavy <laughs> topic of discussion, um, but something, as I was just saying when you came in, you know, it's hard to believe something like that can be happening in our little town of Juneau, Alaska, but it really brings it home that it's happening everywhere. And there's a lot that people need to be aware of and a lot that people can do to help prevent it. So talk to me a little bit about that, Natasha. Number one, let, help define that term for me, human trafficking. What, is that, wh what does that mean? Julie. <laughs> oh, Julie would be, okay, yeah, Julie, I'll, I'll, be. I'll turn to Ju Julie then with the, with the, you know, just quick synopsis of what that means. It's when um, people are held... <laughs> Held to work or um, perform acts for food, money, clothing, roofs, anything. So people are just in a situation against their will. Yep. The trafficking part of it sort of uh, implies they're being moved from one place to another. They're being transported. Is that part See, of this? It looks different in Alaska. For um, for the most part, so a lot of what we see is. Um, drug addicts that have, you know, people that are providing them drugs for for different for, uh, services yes, or favors yes, or things like yes, that. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, it also looks like uh, resources or labor so that if a person has a subsistence uh, permit and their partner is, you know, using that as their source of income and making them work and get the um, subsistence stuff mm -hmm. like furs or pelts or salmon or whatever. So it could be, it's a labor trafficking too. Okay. And then is this an issue that is affecting, I I would say that it's an issue that's affecting women and children mostly. Is that really the, those are really the groups that we're looking to protect? They're um, in an anchorage um, in a covenant house and, Alaska Native Justice, um, they're saying that one in four um, youth are being approached by human traffickers, um, 72 hours within stepping foot in Anchorage. So it's very much has become, um, you know, when I first started advocacy, I did a webinar um, and it was on human trafficking across Indian country. And, you know, my thought was, um, you know, it was scary to really even think of that concept. And then I started, um, you know, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I live in Alaska, right? And mm -hmm. then I started, we are seeing it in our villages, um, in our region. Um, it's popping up more and more. Um, Traffickers are approaching people on the kids on the gaming platforms. And so um, we had. Um, Boy, so scary, isn't it? This yeah. whole that whole realm as well. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but oh, boy, no, that just really right. strikes yeah. at home how much it can just be in infiltrating even people's homes, even where people feel like their children or their loved ones are safe. They may not be. They may be interacting in a way that 
could be very unsafe. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. We really wanted to um, do a community event because we really, um, you know, these concerns came up at Tribal Assembly last year. And it was important for us to um, involve the community because we know these cycles, like we need everybody to break up a cycle like this. And we need everybody on to just, you know, be aware that this can happen. And if this happens, this is what you do. And so that's why it was really important um, to I started having these conversations with the providers in Anchorage and um, they were so supportive mm -hmm. of us having this event because there's very limited resources for Southeast Alaska for victim services. And so the support I was getting from the North region was very positive and I was like, yes, we can do this. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me, tell me, I, I want to kind of ask two questions. Who are you hoping will attend this event? And then also, what are the things that you're going to cover? So first of all, who do you think, who do you think would benefit most from attending an event like this? We're hoping that, um, you know, we want all providers to attend this event. And um, I'm getting a lot of interest from elders, which I think it's really important not to leave our elders out because um, they can have trafficking happen to them. And the youth, um, like just parents, um, having that conversation. Um, I have gotten some really good material from Star Alaska about how do you bring these topics up mm -hmm. with your with the youth. And, and just having, it seems like just in order to have some sort of an open line of communication so that an alert can at least be said, right? That yeah. mm -hmm. a, a, someone can say, oh, that's something weird happened, or I talked to someone that didn't seem right. That mm -hmm. kind of thing can be yeah. enough to potentially help the situation yeah, or avoid a situation. Yeah, yeah definitely. It so we have the correctional officers, PO, per, or, um, probation officers, doctors, nurses. Mm-hmm. Schools, yeah. They, Alaska Native Justice, actually, um, they are finalizing a tool that um, there are six questions that they've come up with because a lot of people don't know they've been trafficked. Mm -hmm. And now, um, tell me about that. They they just they they are have a friendship or a relationship or something, and they don't realize that what's happening is right. Is fits into this definition and also is taking advantage of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So they um, they come up with six questions that you can ask and just kind of broach the subject because it's really hard to come forward, mm -hmm. um, you know, when something like this has happened. So it must be that must be an element of it. Uh, you know, the shame or. Even just feeling like you did something, you know, dumb, quote unquote, or, you know, you were caught in a situation, you were duped by someone. Yeah. Those are hard things to admit. Right. And, you know, I can see where that would be something that people wouldn't want to necessarily come forward with because mm -hmm. they feel, you know, foolish or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So these women that we have on the panel have been um, very supportive. Um, they do a lot of um, the work that they do. A lot of them are like 15 to 20 year old, 20 year victim service providers. And Erin um, Terry was recognized last year um, 
for being one of the nine FBI agents recognized across Indian country. Um, and Josie Hieno was recognized last year by the FBI for her work at the Covenant House because she worked a lot with the homeless youth and exploitation. So um, what great work, you know, certainly not glamour jobs, right? right. But people just who are doing it because they see the problem, care, want to make a difference in what's happening. It's right. really amazing to hear that story. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Katie Tipas, um, she is also on the she's the coordinator for the Human Trafficking Governors Council. And but she also does the training for the state troopers. And then um, we also have Tammy um, Drew Truitt coming down from Alaska Women's Resource Center. Um, Ingrid Cumberledge, who um, she's got a lot of experience as an educator and uh, she used to be uh, 17 years as a tribal court judge. And now she's the Department of Justice um, DOJ MMIP coordinator. And I watched her do a talking circle on human trafficking with Josie. And when I saw that talking circle, it was so powerful. And I was like, I need a grid. <laughs> That's really some heavy hitters right. on this yeah. panel, right? This is yeah. really extraordinary to have this here. What are you hoping will be some of the outcome of this um, of this uh, event that you're having on the 19th? We're hoping that people can come to this event and, um, you know, be able to recognize, you know, what human trafficking looks like. That is that mm. to me is such a key thing. Right. Because I, I was I was telling you, I my my day job is over at Alaska Seaplanes. And, right. you know, it's something that mm -hmm. maybe hadn't come up much before, but we got some training about human trafficking science to watch. And like you said, it's very subtle, mm -hmm. very subtle things. And these um, kind of predatory people know how to hide what they're doing, know, you know, how to make it seem like it's, you know, all okay. Right. Um, and uh, but you just sort of realize that, boy, there's, there's not too many entities in a community that aren't touched by the potential of this sort of thing happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, it's important to know, like, how if you think you've been trafficked, this is the resource where you can go. There's several crisis hotlines that will pro be providing. Um, so it, that and um, I think it's important for us to, you know, just have that community conversation um, that. Um, that like we know this is heavy, um, but we're here for you and we want to provide support so that if this does happen to you, you know that where to go. If someone happens to be listening right now and either has a, someone in their life that they feel like might be in a situation like this, or maybe they are themselves, is there a resource you could give right now as far as a step they could take? Definitely. Um we have our um, our community advocacy um, line is 463-7766, and also AWARE is a really good resource. Mm -hmm. And um, we will be, we have the um, 800 um, 
trafficking hotline. Um, the strong, well, there's several crisis hotlines we'll be providing at our event. Great, yeah. Um, but for sure, they can give us a call at 463-7766. Great, yeah. And we'll be able to, um, we're, we would be happy to um, sit down and talk and, you know, just talk about um, and help them in the process of wherever they're at. So our program, Natasha and I, we work for the Community Advocacy Program, and so we help our tribal citizens who have experienced crime um, go through reporting, the courts, doctors, ERs. Re, um, we do relocations for people who need to move to get away from their abusers and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. It's all kind of the full service, kind of seems like really coordinating underneath mm -hmm. under this concept and preventing yeah. this specific activity from happening. Yeah, um, we are under um, Dr. Tina Woods um, mm -hmm. under the CBS Healing Center and our department is under um, under her um, under the Healing Center. We work very closely with them. So um, if there's anybody that comes in in crisis, we are able to um, make, we are able to do like a soft handoff to the clinicians. So that has been a really good um, service that we've provided. I like this language. We see you together. Mm -hmm. We can heal and prevent human trafficking. That's the event. And it's happening February 19th. Uh, from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Elizabeth Prachevich Hall. And uh, Natasha Jackson and Julie Douglas have been with us from the Klingon and Haida Community Advocacy Program. Thanks to both of you for coming in and telling us a little bit about the event. And have a great event. All awesome. right. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> And that's it for Juno Afternoon today. Thanks for listening. 